Recording in progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, Monday version, which is known as... Peachy Parsha. Peachy Parsha. I think, Mark, did you coin that name? No, I think you did. I may have, but Mark, it's a splash. It was joy. It was joy. It was joy. Very nice. Very nice. Good. Takes a village. But it's like so many things. You know, it's great. It, 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 was, it was seated. Right. And then it blossomed months later. You know, there it you go. months later. Like the peach tree. Like the peach tree itself. Good. Um, Mark, it's a splash zone. Got it. <laughs> Mark got attacked by a water bottle, yes. it looks like. Sports bottle. Yes. Sports bottle. That, problem, yeah. always, every time. Yeah. Every time. Okay, so this week's Torah portion is Vayechi. Like one of the and exactly, this week's Torah portion is Vayechi, and it is the last Torah portion in the book of Bereshis, the book of Genesis, which means that this week is Shabbat Chazak. After finishing each book of the Torah, we recite the words Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak, in which we speak about the fact that where we say be strong, which translates to be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. And we say that, first of all, to kind of uh, give ourselves chizuk, give ourselves strength, having just finished a book, and say that just like we finished this book, we should continue to study, we should have the strength to continue studying more and more books of the Torah. All right, the big theme of this week, the big theme is the passing of Jacob. Jacob being the third of our three patriarchs, Jacob being the father of the 12 tribes, Jacob now living in Egypt. There's a lot to take care of. There's a lot to talk about. In this week's Torah portion, we're going to read about the preparation, his preparations for his passing, which include figuring out where he's going to be laid to rest and also blessing his children before his taking leave from them. All right, so let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen with you. We have two different versions of the text, just so we're on the same page here. The online version is more of a simple translation. The Chumashim that we use here the Gunnic edition has a little bit of, uh, of Rashi's commentary intertwined within the translation. Mark has a Rashi, a third edition of the Chumash. Anyway, it's Freilich, like they say in Yiddish. A lot, lot of things, a lot of action going on here. Either way, we're starting Vayechi. Is this the longest uh, book of the Torah? Is it the longest book of the Torah? Yeah. It would be between Bereshis and... Devarim, Deuteronomy. Based on my five-volume set, it's long. Based on Mark's five-volume set, but that could just be there's more commentaries. The commentaries are like, oh, my hand is cramping. We're going to write this a little bit shorthand now at this point. I'm just saying, in, in the Talmud, for example, you have like pages of commentaries in the first few dafim of the Gemara, of the Talmud, and then as the Masechta goes on, it gets less and less and less. To the point where it's like, all right, whatever it says is fine. All right, yeah, it's, it's all good. So here's the thing. The longest, there would, there would be different ways to measure it. Number of verses, number of Torah portions, number of chapters, number of verses, number of words. It would be interesting to look up those facts and stats and look, this is, we live in a very democratic society in the United States of America, which means anyone is empowered to do whatever they want, which means... That this is now your all, all, all y'all's homework. If if uh, if you wish, take a look, look up number of verses, words, chapters, Torah portions. Which is the, which is the most I don't know formal way to 
to is there a preferred metric? No. Whatever, whatever, whatever makes sense to you. Because I don't know. It's not, it's not like. Uh, what makes sense to me is the number of weeks. That's what. Okay, so then, then it's number of Torah portions. So number I know Genesis has twelve. Yeah. So then it's number of Torah portions. Straight up. Number of Torah because those are divided by the weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's page. Um, oh, and there's yeah. All right. So let's begin Vayechi Torah reading for Vayechi Genesis chapter forty-seven, verse number twenty-eight. Um, let me see Rashi quickly. Yes, okay, good. Let's begin. The Torah tells us that Yaakov, Jacob, lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. He lived in Egypt for 17 years. The total of Yaakov's days, the years of his life, were 147 years. Yaakov lived for 147 years. Just so we have clarity. He was 130 when he moved down to Egypt. He said that last week when he spoke to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, how old are you? He says, 130. 17 years later, no surprise, he's 147. 130 plus 17 is 147. Okay? The Balaturim, who is a commentary on the Torah, also the author of the Torah, Shulchan Aruch, for those of you that were at the book, the book, the book, oh, what, what was it called? It was the book, the Jewish book, fair, festival, whatever. For those of you that were there for the presentation, we, one of the books that we mentioned that was printed at a certain time, one of the books that was referenced was the Torah, one of the codes of Jewish law. Well, the Torah, one of the authors, he's, that's what he's known as, one of the, the Torah also wrote a commentary on the Torah that is very different than halachic. It's uh, very allegorical. And he does a lot of gematria, does a lot of numerology. And the Balaturim explains that 17, right, because he lived in Egypt 17 years, 17 is the gematria of the, the Hebrew word tov. The Hebrew word tov, which means good in English, tov is numerically equivalent to 17. Tes is 9, Vav is 6, and Bet is 2. 9 plus 6 plus 2 is 17. So the Balturim says that the 17 years, listen to this, the 17 years that Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim, lived in Egypt, were the best years of his life. Tov, they were the best years of his life. Why? Simple reason, because he was united, reunited with Yosef. His whole family, he had all the kids, everyone... It was finally the first time in his life where he did not have any drama. There is no recorded drama of those 17 years. Growing up, he dealt with his twin brother. Then he dealt with Lavan. Then he dealt again with his brother. Then he dealt with Dina. Then he dealt with Yosef. He dealt with drama, not a nonstop drama in his life. 17 years, no drama. 17 years with Yosef. 17 years, according to Chassidus, the deeper idea is that in these 17 years, he saw that his family and that his faith could survive in a foreign environment. He saw himself that he could have his family 70 strong and multiplying rapidly. He could have his family be proud Jews or proudly monotheistic, whatever you wanted to call them, whatever they were called then, proudly faithful, proudly faithful to Hashem, even in Erev Asa'aretz, even in the most depraved place on earth, which was the land of Egypt. Yes. Is the Vav a super Vav, which means he will live in Egypt? 
Here in the English, it's a good question. I'm not, I'm not an expert in the grammar. So that's my first disclaimer is, I'm not sure. However, in, the, in this translation, it says, and Jacob lived. It, it seems like it's just an end. Yeah, I don't know. What do you have? Oh yeah, here it too says Yaakov. Yeah. Now, I want to point out the first Rashi on this week's Torah portion, which is very interesting. Rashi says, Lama parashazu sesuma. Why is this section completely closed? And I'm going to explain what that means. If you look at a Torah scroll, not, not the Chumash that we use, but if you look, and I point back here, if you look at the Torah scrolls, between Torah portions, there's always a gap in a space. You have like, if the words end in the middle of the line, you have a gap to the end of the line, and then you have like, like someone hit enter on the typewriter a few times, and then the next Torah portion kicks in. You always have like a gap except for this week's Torah portion. There's no double Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. This Torah portion almost continues as if it's the next verse. It's, it's, it's not an open portion with open, in other words, it's not, um, it doesn't have a, pair, a, a section break. It's completely um, flowing from the previous. So Rashi asks the question, why is this section closed? Closed meaning it's, it's, it's boxed in. It doesn't have, a, it doesn't have an opening. It doesn't, doesn't have an opening start. It's closed in. Rashi explains, because as soon as our father Jacob passed away, the eyes and the heart of Israel were closed, i.e. became dark for them. Here's the great illusion. Here's the great hint. You ready for this? It's unbelievable. What Rashi says is that this Torah portion is talking about the passing of Yaakov. Once Yaakov dies, slavery kicks in. The question is, when does slavery kick in? When do things get bad for the Jews in Egypt? The answer is from when Yaakov passes away, it starts slipping into a negative place. And thus, thus, it's alluded to by the fact that the section is closed. It's, it's closed in, it's boxed in. This idea of difficulty, challenge, darkness, and slavery, that's, that's, the, that's the hint with this week's Torah portion. As Rashi says, because the misery of the slavery. For they, the Egyptians, commenced to subjugate them. The beginning of the subjugation was with the passing of Jacob. I hope that makes sense. Yes? Makes sense? Okay. Rashi says another explanation, that he, Jacob, attempted to reveal the end of the exile to his sons, but was closed off, concealed from, but it was closed off, concealed from him. And this all comes from Beratius Rabbah, from the Medrash. Hi, Ray. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome. All right, so what we have here... Rabbi, Rabbi quick question. Donna, yes. Rabbi? Yes, but I mean, was it just a coincidence with Jacob's passing? No, 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 not at all. No, for sure not. Uh, it was the generation, the, the original generation is gone. Jacob is gone. Now we can start fooling around. It's 100%, 100% deliberate. It was a deliberate way of waiting until that generation died out. And then they began starting trouble with the Jewish people. So here we have two reasons, just to summarize, Rashi says two reasons why this Torah portion is different than all others. It doesn't have a, a clean opening. Why? It's closed in. Why? It's boxed in. It's, it's like a little claustrophobic. Why? Because number one, life got claustrophobic for the Jews in Egypt with slavery. And number two, because Jacob, his prophecy got closed, got shut down when he was trying to reveal the, uh, the time of Mashiach, the time of redemption to his sons, which we'll see later on this week's Torah portion. All right, that's all the first verse. And again, I don't, wanna, I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle what I said about the Balaturim. The best 17 years of his life were the years that he spent, that Yaakov spent in Egypt 
with his whole family, reunited in peace and tranquility, but most importantly, where he's able to see the survival and the thriving of Judaism, even in a foreign environment. The greatest nachas is that he sees that this thing has legs to continue. This thing will, will, will go on, live on beyond my lifespan. Let's continue. Verse number 29. When the time, I'm going to read from the Chumash, and hopefully it's, it's similar to the online. When the time drew near for Yisrael to die, that's his other name, Yaakov, to die, he called his son Yosef. Listen to this. So he realized it's the end, it's toward the end of his life. He calls his son Yosef, who also happens to be the viceroy of Egypt, and he said to him, If I have now found favor in your eyes, if I mean anything to you, <laughs> sort of, please place your hand beneath my thigh, and swear an oath that you will do for me true kindness. Please don't let me be buried in Egypt. So what we have here is Yaakov the father calling Yosef the son, who's also the viceroy. And he says to him, promise me one thing, that you will not let me be buried in this, this land of depravity. Why does he say, put my hand, be, put your hand beneath my thigh? Again, it was, we find this with Avram and Eliezer. I mentioned this back then. I'll mention it again very quickly. It's because he was, he was when, you, when you make an oath, when you take an oath, you typically hold on to a cheftzah shal mitzvah, an item of mitzvah. The only mitzvah item that he had was the bris milah. So it was in proximity to that area that he said, put your hand. You know, swear on the Bible, this was the, the, the form then of swearing on the Bible, if you will. And the oath is essentially that you will not let me be buried in the land of Egypt. Verse number 30. Rabbi, what, what uh, mitzvah object typically is used today with an oath taken? Uh, typically, we don't, we don't do that level of oath. That level of oath is only administered in a Jewish court, like back in the day when you had like a real Jewish court. Today, typically, it's not done. What was done then? Uh, a Torah scroll. They didn't have the Torah scroll yet. They studied Torah. We talked about that many times. They studied something, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that. By the way, shame for Aver. We've talked about this before. The yeshiva that they all studied in, the yeshiva of shame and Aver. I just found out today, I was on a phone call with about an event that we're planning on doing in, in, in February, which I might as well just leak now. Um, <laughs> I'll leak it in a second. But I, I just heard today that Shem and Aver, their caver, their burial place, is in Tzfat. Safed. Anybody been to Tzfat? Yes. Have you seen Shem and Aver? Apparently, Shem and Aver of Yeshiva Shem and Aver fame, that's where they are. Oh, so a long time ago. So you have to go back and check it out. But, okay, okay, here's the tease, because this is where all the news breaks, well before it breaks anywhere else. So there's a guy who is an amazing tour guide. And we actually did a virtual tour of Israel last year. Do you guys remember that? Mm -hmm. I don't know who, I don't remember who was on it. It was a virtual tour. Anyway, this guy is going to do a one night only tour of some of the places that even if you were in Israel, you couldn't go. You with me? These are like the most secretive places or the, the dangerous places that you couldn't even access today physically. But he's going to do a virtual tour using technology, a virtual tour of these places, and speak about their significance, the holy sites, and, uh, and, and some of the mystery behind these places. Is that the artist uh, place? Tzvat? Tzvat is the artist place, yeah. 
But Tzvat you can go. That's not one of the places. Right. I'm, I'm mentioning parenthetically over here. Yeah. Yeah. Tzvat yeah. is like the blue. They have a lot of blue. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very mystical. On the mountains, in the hills, yeah. That's, that's the super mystical, trippy place. That's where you want to go and get, like, Kabbalistic, if you know what I mean. All right, back to our story. I don't even know what I mean. Which Rashi did we skip? Which Rashi should we hit? Somebody says something about a Rashi. Okay, let's, let's check it out. Here we go. Oh, wow, look at this. Thank you, Mark, for the, for the heads up. So Yaakov t- tells his son, please promise me you will not bury me in Egypt. Why not? Rashi says, because it's soil, listen to this, it's soil is destined to become lice, which will crawl under my body. Oh, when? With the plague of lice, the ten plagues. The lice was going to crawl in the earth, and it wasn't just going to plague the people that were, what do you call, above terrain? Not subterranean, but um, terrestrial, I guess, not extra. It's not subterranean. It's, it was going to affect the ter- the above-ground people and the subterranean um, dwellers. So, and because that's one reason, I, he doesn't want his um, body to become, uh, you know, just, um, what's the word, infested with lice. And second reason, because those who die outside the Holy Land will not be resurrected except with the pain of rolling through underground passages. This is something that we've spoken about before in various contexts, that there is this, path, this, 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 these rolling tunnels that will connect all of the underground uh, burial places to Israel, but it's, maybe we'll have like a subway. Hmm. Instead of rolling, maybe the wheels will roll, because we we figured out that technology. Back, yeah, Elon Musk is digging. He's got, he's got, yeah, he's got the boring company, you know this? Yeah, 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 legit, look it up. Elon Musk, he does a lot of things. But he also has this company called The Boring Company, B-O-R-I-N-G. Not boring like boring, but like making a hole boring. And he's, I think, under Vegas. He's creating this underground tunnel that will take people from one end of the strip to the other, like very quickly, so you don't have to get stuck in traffic. Basically, uh, like a a glorified subway-type system. But either way, I think maybe back in the day, the, the, the concept of moving someone from one place to the other in a, in a tunnel was that they roll. I think we've cracked the code that you don't have to roll, but the wheels will roll. And so I'm just going to say I haven't seen it yet. Can't say I'm speaking from like insider information. I'm just going to say let's hook everybody up on a, on a, on a, on a moving thing and, yes. and get them over there. Anyway. Right. That's, that's what I'm going to advocate for. And if, and if, you know, if Mashiach comes and, not if, when Mashiach comes and if, if, if Mashiach is not so sure about the technology, we'll all help. We'll all help uh, bring Mashiach up to speed. You know, hey, this is, this is how we roll, both literally and figuratively. All right. Also, third reason why he didn't want to be buried in Egypt was so that the Egyptians will not deify me. He did not want to become one of the gods or demigods of Egypt. Three reasons. Number one, no lice. Number two, no roll. No rolling the lice. All right, no lice, no roll, and no deification, no God. I mean, didn't want to be made into a God. All right, excellent. I, I, I'm, I'm all for that, Rashi. Let's continue verse number 30. Rather, yes. As of today, Elon Musk is the man of the year. You heard that maybe on the news. I did not hear that, but interesting. As of today. There were those that wanted to, um, um, 
what do you call it? When you offer someone's name up for something. Come on. Nominate. Nominate. Thank you. Nominate. There were those who wanted to nominate the Rebbe for Man of the Year back in the 70s. And the Rebbe jokingly said, never happened, but the Rebbe jokingly said, what's Man of the Year? If you're a mensch, then you're always a mensch. And if you're only a mensch for a year, what kind of mensch are you? Like, man of the year. It's like, this year I was a mensch. All the other years, not a mensch. The Rebbe was having fun with the concept. It, anyway, it's very, very funny. All right, verse 30. So I'm glad we mentioned him because, look, if, if, uh, who, who does that? Time Magazine? Is that Time Magazine? Yes. If, Ty, if Time Magazine, if Time Magazine, if they deemed him worthy of man of the year, then, oh, then for sure, we, it's Kedai. It's worthwhile to mention him. All right, verse 30. Take a look. Um, I hope everyone has plenty of stock in Tesla because they're doing very well. Baruch Hashem. Verse 30. Uh, let me lie with my fathers, he says. Don't bury me in Egypt, but rather let me lie. That means be laid to rest with my forefathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their grave, which is the cave of Machpelah, Hebron, which, by the way, will be, perhaps, I believe, one of, on that virtual tour of the secretive sites. Oh, I'm getting very excited as I mention it. As I talk to you about it, intertwined in this, in this reading, I'm getting excited about this event. All right, let's continue. And he said, he being Yosef, I will do as you say, said Yosef. Yosef says... Anochi, ese kidvarecha, yes, Father. I will do what you say. I will bury you back in the land of Israel, in Hebron, in the cave of Machpelah, with your ancestors. Verse 31, Yaakov was not satisfied with somebody saying yes, with his son saying yes. He said no. Formally, he said to him, swear to me, make a formal oath. So he swore to him. Then Yisrael, Israel, Jacob, Yaakov bowed down to Yosef, turning toward the Divine Presence, which was at the top of the bed. Here in the English, it says, on, online, it says, Israel prostrated himself on the head of the bed. I don't even know what that means. He bowed down on the head of the bed. What is that like? Was there a headboard and he's like, he planked it? No, I mean, it's, it makes more sense with the way it's translated here with Rashi, is that he turned, he bowed down to Yosef, turning toward the Divine Presence, which was at the top of the bed. Why was the Divine Presence there? That's another question. Okay, Genesis chapter 48, verse number 1. Okay, so we have here Yaakov being very concerned about his final resting place. And by the way, from here we learn a very important idea. You know what that is? That it's the right thing to do to make burial arrangements during one's lifetime and not leave it so much. Now, I will tell you that, in, that the way this is positioned in this week's Torah portion, it says that Yaakov recognized that his, he was nearing the end of his life, and so he started making these arrangements. But in Jewish law, it says, don't wait, till, to, don't wait too long. It's good to make arrangements as early as possible. It's good to make arrangements regarding burial plots and cemeteries and last wishes and wills and all that stuff. It's good to do it. Number one, it, it First of all, it's a, it's a burden off, off of one's shoulders to get it done. Number two, it doesn't burden anyone else with having to figure out what to do. Number three, it says it's a segula for long life. It's a merit for long life. So you think that, oh, it's like an ayin hara. Maybe it's like jinxing something. No, on the contrary, it's a segula for long life to make these types of arrangements. Anyway, 
I happen to know a good attorney. I'm kidding. This is not a plug, not a commercial. It's just a mention of, of Jewish practice. Let's continue with Genesis chapter 48, verse number 1. Then, after these words had been exchanged between Yaakov and Yosef, I'm adding in Rashi's commentary, after these words, after this conversation we, which we just read, between Yaakov and Yosef took place, a messenger said to Yosef, beware, your father is sick. Okay? So they had that conversation. Yaakov senses his time is near, but he's still okay, he's still healthy. They have that conversation about final uh, burial plans. But then, sometime shortly thereafter, Yosef gets word that his dad is actually sick. He took ill. So what does he do? Yosef took his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, with him to Yaakov to, to bless them before he passed away. So basically, Yosef hears this, and he takes his two kids to get blessed by their grandfather before Zaydi Yaakov passes away. Verse number two. So a messenger came to inform Yaakov and said, Look, your son Yosef is coming to visit you. So he got, Yaakov gets advance warning that Yosef is, is coming. So Yisrael, Israel, Jacob, summoned his strength and sat up in the bed since Yosef was a king. So he was sick. Before he wasn't sick, he was just old. Now he's sick. Is it his deathbed? I don't know if it's his deathbed. I don't know if it's like he's in that final stretch, but he's, he's not well. And still he manages to summon the strength to sit up as a sign of respect to his son, who was also a king, Rashi says. Verse number three. Yaakov said to Yosef, Almighty God, God Almighty, appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan. That's going back a few years. 17 years in the land of Egypt already. So this is at least 17 years ago. God appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan and he blessed me. And God said to me, look, I will make you fruitful and cause you to multiply and I will make you into a multitude of peoples. And I will give this land, the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, to your descendants after you for an everlasting inheritance. This is Yaakov telling Yosef about God's promise to him. God says to him, I'm going to give you a lot of children. I'm going to give you this land, etc. And now, says Yaakov to Yosef, father to son, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you here in Egypt, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they will be counted as mine to receive a share in the land of Israel. Listen to this, listen, big, huge, huge message, huge message. Everyone knows, everyone knows that Yaakov has 12 sons. And everyone knows that those are the 12 tribes. And everyone knows that those 12 tribes ultimately inherited the land of Israel. Says Yaakov to Yosef, that I want you to know that God promised me children, a lot of children, a big nation, and God promised me the land. I am telling you today, says father to son Yaakov to Yosef, your two children, Ephraim and Manasseh, the ones that were born to you in Egypt before I moved down to join you here, those two sons will be counted like my own sons. These grandsons of mine, Manasseh and Ephraim, Ephraim and Manasseh, will be counted like to me as sons to inherit the land of Israel. And indeed, so it was. And now you're thinking one second. So they divided the land into 13 
tribes because you had 12 tribes, but one of them was Yosef, and Yosef is subdivided into Menashe and Ephraim. So if you take out Yosef and replace it with Menashe and Ephraim, that means 13. So there are 13 pieces of land? No, still 12. Why? Because the Levites never got it. The Levite tribe. Sorry, Mark. I got, I got, I got, a, ca I got a couch for you, bro. But Mark is a resident Levite. So the Levite tribe, Sheva Levi, didn't get a piece of the land. So it was still divided into 12 sections, but you took out Levi and you popped in Menashe and Ephraim, and you would take out, Le take out Levi and Yosef. Levi, because you're taking out Yosef, because you're popping back in Menashe and Ephraim, and you're back to 12. The point here, though, is that on the level of inheritance, Yaakov is elevating Two of his grandkids, only two, by the way. He has lots of grandsons. Two of his grandsons, the ones born to Yosef, his beloved Yosef, he's now elevating to tribal status. Does this make sense? Is this coming across clear? Okay. I hope so. Why not the Levi? Because they were, they were doing holy work, and they were not meant to be farmers and, you know, agriculturalists. They were not meant to be working and tilling the land. So they had a place to live, they, but they were taken care of. They didn't own the land to the sense that they were working the land. Yes. Yeah, 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 right. Cohen and Levi were all from the Levites. Exactly. Right. Mark, listen, you ever hear Mark sing? That was his job in the temple. Mark, when Mashiach comes, please God today, there's going to be the Levite choir. That's it. You're going to be part of the, you got a musical tradition. I mean, that's, that's your Levite tradition is, is musical. Straight up. Okay. Do you know how to play? Now I know. Do you play? Do you play an instrument? Yeah. Do you? I play an instrument. I play Spotify. Spotify. Yeah, that was a joke. It's not an instrument. All right. I play. Yes. Thank you. I played the show for. What do you play, Mark? What do you play? Piano. Nice. Next time you're over at our house, we got a piano. You'll uh, you'll belt out a tune. An old show tune. Okay. There's <laughs> something. Sing me a song of the piano man. All right, next, back, back to our text. Here we go. Um, verse number... Oh, I'm, I don't even know if I finished the sentence. Let, let, let me finish this verse. Verse 5, I'm going to start again. And now, your two sons, Yosef, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Israel before I came here in Egypt, they will be counted as mine to receive a share in the land of Israel. And who are they? Ephraim and Menashe will be mine like Reuben and Shimon. That's, that's huge. He's elevating grand, two of his grandsons to son status, to tribal status. However, but, <laughs> it's always a catch, terms and conditions. Verse number six, but if you have more children after them, Yosef, listen, my son Yosef, I love you. If you have more kids, right, they will be counted as your own and not as separate tribes. That's on you, not on me. I'm giving you a deal, a one-time deal, right? Limited time only. I'm going to Ella. I'm, you know, you ever get these calls from like AAA? They want to upgrade your membership to like the whatever. And then you, there's always a catch. They're, they're ready to upgrade, but it's going to cost you, right? Somehow. Or Costco. You have a Costco thing. They don't mind upgrade. Happy to upgrade you to gold. Not a problem. You're basic. You can be gold. I'm like, oh, I'd love to be upgraded. All right, there's a fee. Like, well, I thought it was an upgrade. Nah, it's a fee. It's all, there's always a catch. The point here is, the point is that in this case, there's no fee. 
there's not really a catch. The only condition is that any more children are not going to have the same deal applied to them. This is a one-time upgrade for Menashe and Ephraim, and that is it. Verse number seven. Huh? Horios. Horios. It's, uh, it's a Talmud Tractate. And also Mizrahi. It says here <coughs> that by receiving two separate portions, that is a rhyme and Menashe. Yeah. Each of which had all the features of it. In other words, it says all the, all the lands had mountains and whatever. Uh, it said mountains, plains, valleys. But by receiving two separate portions, each of which had all of these features, the sons of Joseph came into possession of a more diversified territory and that they received a single portion. Interesting. Interesting. So, Ephraim and Manasseh, because they got yeah. two portions, um, Mark is saying they got a more diversified cross section of the land of Israel. Very interesting. Okay? Good. Now, let's continue. And as for me, verse number seven. So, hey, let's just break this down. Yaakov is ill. Yosef hears about it. He decides to bring his kids to get blessed by Zadie. Before they ask for the blessing, Yaakov makes a proclamation and a promise. And he says, your kids, Yosef, your two kids, Ephraim and Manasseh, I'm going to elevate them to tribal status. But I have an ask. I'm, I just did a give. I'm giving you something, but now I need you to do something for me, something that we already spoke about. Verse 7. I know, he says. I know, says Rashi. Rashi kind of adds in this interpretation that you are angry with me. Yaakov says to Yosef, I know you are angry with me. Why? Because when I was coming from Padan and Rachel, Rachel died on me, while traveling through the land of Canaan, when there was still about a half a mile stretch of land to reach Ephrat. And you're upset that I buried her there on the way to Ephrat and Beit Lechem, but you shouldn't be upset because, you, because God told me to bury her there. There's a lot that I added from Rashi in, in text, in verse number seven. A lot that I added. Basically, his father is acknowledging, Yaakov is acknowledging that his son Yosef is very likely upset at him. Because Yosef's mother, Rachel, Rachel, was buried pretty much on the side of the road. She was not taken to a formal cemetery, a formal burial plot. And Yaakov is trying to address that resentment and say, look, your mom died away, passed away suddenly. She died suddenly. We were on the road. But ultimately, as Rashi says, Yaakov tells him that it was God who told me to bury her there where she was. It was by divine decree that she remained there and, not, and wasn't moved to another formal cemetery. Do we know where she's? Cave of Rachel. It's the tomb of Rachel in, in, in Bethlehem, Bethlehem. The question is if you can visit today. I don't know. It's, you know the red strings? The red string, the red. Um, so it says that the whole red string, part of that, like, the Kabbalistic power of it is you take the red string, you wrap it around Rachel's tomb. And then they cut pieces of it and that's what they make. But of course, the more touristy ones probably never saw the tomb of Rachel. They were just straight, straight from the packaging. Boom, cut it. and that's. But the original ones, the ones that have the spiritual power, the ones that were by Beit Lechem. Yeah. 
But yeah, we know, we know where, she, where she's been. You can look at it. Will it be one of our hidden sites? Only time will tell. Only time will tell um, for that virtual tour. All right, let's continue. Let's continue verse number eight. Then Yisrael, Israel saw Yosef's sons. Menashe and Ephraim, the aforementioned. When he tried to bless them, Rashi says, the divine presence departed. He tried to bless them, but suddenly whoosh, his spiritual aura departed. So he said, one second, one second. Is it me or is it them? He said, yeah, hold on. We, right, yeah, the switch is going to happen soon. But because something happened to his spiritual aura, he said to Yosef, from where were these boys born who are not worthy of being blessed? He tried to bless them. His spirit of, 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 of his divine spirit just disappeared in that moment. So he said, who are these? Who are these kids? Are they not worthy of being blessed, perhaps? Verse number nine. Here's what Yosef does. Producing his betrothal and marriage contracts, the ketubah, Yosef said to his father, they are my sons whom God gave me through a marriage certified by this documentation, again, I'm throwing in Rashi. Rashi says that Yosef didn't just say they're my kids. It was, the question wasn't, who are these guys? Oh, they're my kids. No, 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 no. The question is, are they legit? Are, is, was your marriage legit? Is your wife legit? And his answer is yes. He showed him all the documentation, all the certification, right? Because uh, Yosef married an Egyptian girl. So uh, he showed them all, all, all of the Jewish docs. And at that point... His, father's, um, his father was relieved that indeed everything was on the, uh, on the up and up with these grandchildren of his. Then we continue in verse 9, middle of verse 9. When the divine spirit then returned, so it seems like as quickly as the divine spirit lifted, it returned. Yaakov said, bring them near to me and I will bless them. And that's how the first reading ends. Let's continue right away with the second reading. So we, I did a lot of Rashi interspersed, as you can tell. I did a lot of Rashi because much of what I said is not in this translation online. This is from Rashi, who's getting it from the Medrash, from the Talmud, and all those great sources, classic Jewish sources. But we're in the middle of a dialogue. We're in the middle of a, of a story here, heavily in the middle of a story. So let's continue. Yisrael's eyes. Israel's eyes, Yaakov's eyes, had become heavy with age. And he could not see. So Yosef, remember, this is already as his age and his illness is progressing. So he was originally just old, and now he's old and ill. And now his eyes aren't working 100%. So Yosef brought the boys near to him. And he kissed him, and he hugged him. You know what's interesting? A, a father blessing his sons who can't exactly see is what happened with his own father. Remember Yitzchak? Who called, right, who called uh, Esav to bless him and then Yaakov took the blessings. So now Yaakov, now the roles are reversed or now the whatever. Now Yaakov can't see and he wants to bless his grandchildren, Menashe and Ephraim and, uh, and, and, and this is how the story unfolds. So Yosef, he couldn't see. So Yosef, brought the kids near to him, near to his father, their grandfather, and Yaakov kissed them, kissed the grandkids, and hugged them, he embraced them. Verse number 11. Yisrael, Israel said to Yosef, I didn't even expect to see your face, and look, God has shown me your children too. I love that. That's a beautiful line. 
That's a beautiful line. I never thought I would see you alive. And now, not only you, but I see the next generation as well. I see your grandkids. I see your kids, my grandkids. All right, let's continue verse 12. After Yaakov kissed the boys, Yosef took them from Yaakov's lap and placed one child to his right and one to his left. So let's, understand, let's understand the logistics here. So the kids are sitting now, or they were sitting a moment ago, on Yaakov's lap. And Yaakov was hugging them and kissing them, his grandkids hugging and kissing them. So then Yosef, the father, takes them off his father's lap and faces them to face Yaakov for the blessing. Right? So now they're stationed in front of him, one on the right, one on the left. As we'll see soon, who's on the right? Menashe, he's the, he's the firstborn. And who's on the left? Ephraim. And the Torah says, why did Yaakov put them to the right and to the left? I'm sorry, Rashi explains why to the right and to the left. So that Yaakov could rest his hands on them and bless them. He wanted his father to put his hands on the two kids, on the two grandkids, and bless them. Now Yosef stepped back and threw himself on the ground. Yosef was so moved by this moment that he bowed down to the ground. Verse 13. Who was the older one? Menashe. Menashe was older. Yosef took them both. Ephraim on the right to Yisrael's left. That's the younger one. And Menashe, the firstborn on his left to Yisrael's right. So that, he would be, so, that, so that he would place his right hand on the firstborn. And he brought them close to him. All that is verse 13 with the commentary. So again, very simple. This is my right hand. For those of you wondering, this is my left hand. So Menashe would have been positioned over here. And Ephraim over here. Why? So that the older one should get the right hand, which is the more prominent, the chesed, whatever it is, the prominent hand. First blessing, second blessing, right, left. However, verse 14, but Israel, Yisrael, stretched out his right hand and placed it on Ephraim's head, the kid on the left, although he was younger. And then he placed his left hand on Menashe's head. You see what happened? He did the old crossover. Took his right hand, put it on the kid on the left. Took his left hand, put it on the kid on the right. Instead of going like this to bless the kids, he went like this. He guided, Yaakov guided his hands deliberately in, all aware, in full awareness that Menashe was the firstborn. He knew who was the firstborn, although he couldn't see, he could sense, he knew that Menashe was the firstborn and Menashe was on the right. He still crossed his hands over. Let's continue. He blessed Yosef. First things first. He gave their dad, he gave his own son Yosef a blessing and he said, O oh God, before whom my fathers Abraham, Avram, and Yitzhak walked, O oh God, who has looked after me from the birth, for, sorry, from my birth to this day. He's calling on God. God, you were, you, Avram and Yitzhak walked with you. God, you looked at me, you protected me from my birth to this day. Verse 16. May the angel, whom you always sent to redeem me from all harm, bless these lads. The same angel that you sent to protect me, my guardian angel, should always watch these kids. May they be called by my name. 
And may the name of my fathers, Avram and Yitzchak, sorry, may they, be, may they be called by my name and the name of my fathers, Avram and Yitzchak, and may they increase in the land like fish. Okay, there you go. That's the blessing. The next reading, we're not going to do this. Tomorrow we're going to do this. The next reading is going to be Yosef's attempted correction, where he says, Ho, Dad, one second. You got the wrong arm in the wrong spot. You got your right arm on the kid on the left, and you're, you know, you're, you're mixing a and Menashe up. And his father says, Don't worry, I know what I'm doing, but that's for tomorrow. What we see today is the blessing. Let's see if we have some Rashis on what we covered today. On, on which one? On the blessing. Okay, let's check it out. Let's check it out. Verse 16, we may go back to other Rashi, but let's, let's start with verse 16, the last verse that we just read. Okay, the angel who redeemed me. So Yaakov calls upon the angel, calls, asks God to be with these kids and calls upon the angel who redeemed me. What does that mean? The angel who is usually sent to me in my distress. As the matter is stated, an angel of God sent to me, said to me in a dream, Jacob, I am the God of Bethel. Bless the youths, may, may that angel bless the youths, Menashe and Ephraim. And may, they multiply, and may they multiply like fish, Rashi says, just like fish, which proliferate and multiply and are unaffected by the evil eye. Fish have some pretty cool features, apparently. Number one, they have lots of offspring. Number two, their eyes are always open which means they are always aware of danger. That's the, that's the message. There's, you can't sneak up on them with the eye and heart with the evil eye. Right? The idea of a closed eye is the idea of an evil eye. The idea of an open eye is the idea of warding off the evil eye. Fish never close, fish don't have eyelids. So therefore, he's blessing them that they should be like fish, not only multiply like fish, but also be impervious to the evil eye, be impervious to the, the plots of others. If we go, says, yeah. Yeah, on a note here it says, um, this voracious Rabbah, that's Talmud? Medrash. Medrash, okay. It says, uh, this is, uh, it's so small. Vayigu uh, is the only example of, of the verb Nagah. Uh, yeah. That in the Torah. It's the only example of what? Of the verb? Yeah, of the verb. Yeah. Dag is fish. Vayirgu okay. means, and you shall fish. Not like catch fish, but you shall be like fish. Like do what fish do. So that means you should have many offspring. They, they should have many offspring like fish. Number one and number two, they should also be like fish in that no evil eye. Um, okay, here we go. Let's, let's, let's go back a little to verse 14. This is where he switched, Yaakov switches hands when blessing his grandkids. The Targum renders um, that he put wisdom into them. He put wisdom into his hands when he switched them, which means deliberately and with wisdom he guided his hands for that purpose and with knowledge. For he knew full well, even though he couldn't really see, but he knew full well that Manasseh was the firstborn, but nevertheless did not place his right hand upon him. He did the old switcheroo. Okay. There's a discussion. It refers me back to the to a discussion of the evil eye. Yes. Earlier, actually, it's in McCates. And this is from uh, Mikhtov 
Me'e Eliyahu, but it says the human mind has the ability to trigger forces that can cause damage or destruction to physical objects. Right. Some suggest that the mechanism through which the evil eye operates is an ethical one. The blessings bestowed by God upon an individual should not serve as a source of anguish to others. Right. If one allows his blessings, another's wealth, children, etc., to cause pain to others less fortunate, and certainly if one flaunts them, one arouses a divine judgment against himself and a reevaluation of his fitness for those blessings. This can lead to their eventual loss. Right. So what Mark is saying is, what is the evil eye and how does it work? So in that, that commentary mentions one such path, which is God gives us a blessing, but if we kind of um, flaunt the blessing, which causes others to be jealous and to wish that we didn't have the blessing, then God might say, you know what? I didn't give it to you to flaunt, so maybe I, I, maybe I do regret giving you that blessing. There's another element as well, which is that, that, that a person, through their negative thoughts, can actually create a negative energy. So there's that also. Either way, one of the antidotes to evil eye is not to flaunt the blessings. That's why, by the way, in Shul, when we read the Torah, you'll never call up a father and a son back to back. It's brought in the Code of Jewish Law. The reason for that is so that others don't, set, don't start looking at this, this you know, family that's monopolizing the Elias and say, oh, who do they think they are, blah, blah, blah. They think they're so special and thus cause an evil eye. So we try to like alternate with Eliot and everything and that sort of thing, even for our mitzvah. The chazan that taught me for my bar mitzvah and all that, um, he said that when his son was given presents on Hanukkah, he put his fist, I think he did this or this, uh, to ward off the evil eye he'd have in his pocket when other kids would look at what he had. Interesting. The right or the left, I forget which one, but it was like this, but it was to ward off the evil eye. I, so some sort of hand motion. I've never heard that. I've never seen that. I was curious, yeah. It sounds interesting. Only time I've ever, I, only time I've ever heard it in my life. I would not be surprised because yeah. there are many different interesting traditions. Yeah. I want to mention one, one idea, one quick vart, and then we're going to end off. Vart means uh, like, a, like, a, like an insight. So what's the Vart that I want to share with you? What's with Ephraim and Menashe? What's with the switcheroo? What's going on here? Menashe is the firstborn, but, but Yaakov switches his hand, puts the right hand on Ephraim, the, the, the second. Like, what's, what, what's, what's happening here? We could simply look at it as, once again, the younger kid is getting the benefits, right? Cain and Abel, although Abel died, Abel was killed, but he was the one that God preferred. You have the same thing with uh, Ishmael and, and Isaac, Esau and Jacob, the brothers and Joseph. You always find the second born or the, the younger one, whatever, triumphing over the older one. And here it's no different. That's, that's one way we could look at it. But we, on a deeper level, we can say that it's also expressed thematically in, their, in the names of Ephraim and Manasseh. Harkening back to what I shared with you, I want to say two weeks ago at DPP, Ephraim and Menashe, sorry, Menashe and Ephraim mean two different things. Menashe means, maybe I mentioned it at DPP, maybe, maybe I mentioned it over Shabbos. I don't remember when I said it. But Menashe means forgetting. Menashe means forgetting. Right? He named his son Menashe because he wants to forget ya Yosef, wants to forget about the drama and the, and the trauma of his youth. Menashe means, I'm past that. It's no longer going to hold me back. I'm, I'm, I'm moving that trauma away. It's Menashe. What's Ephraim? Ephraim means I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to, I'm going to grow even stronger than before. So, huh? It was DBP. 
So Menashe means I'm no longer going to let my, my challenges hold me back. Ephraim means I'm going to use the challenges as a springboard for a greater level. So here's the question. So who's greater, Menashe or Ephraim? Who's greater? Ephraim. Not just that my challenges don't hold me back, but I'm going to transform the darkness to light. That's a higher level, clearly a higher level. So Ephraim is a higher level. That's why the right hand goes in Ephraim. So if that's the case, then why is Menashe born first? Because sequentially, the first thing you need to do is make sure it doesn't get in the way, the darkness, and then you can exploit it for positive. In other words, there's a sequential step to how we, how we deal with challenge or trauma, God forbid, in our lives. And step one is, yes, step one is don't, don't let it hold you back. Step two is, is grow from it. But, but there's one and two. Ultimately, two is greater than one. But to get to two, you first had to do one. So in the birth order, first is Menashe, then is Ephraim. But what's the ultimate goal? Is Ephraim. It's to grow. For example, why did God, on a very basic level, something we've, a trauma that's embedded in the human condition. I'm talking about the soul's trauma. The soul was taken out you know, woken up from her spiritual cocoon and said, hey you got the call from the bullpen, you're in, right? That's it. Send them down, send them down the tube, whoosh, down the water slide, whoo, look where I am. It's traumatic for the soul. If you look in Kabbalah and Chassidus, it's traumatic for the soul. You separated her from her space of connection, from a place of purity, from on high, a place of spiritual consciousness, and put her where? Into a body with an animal soul in this world? Come on. This world of sheker, it's called Olam sheker world where half of the things, if not more, every, things are false. This world, this, it's traumatic for the soul. It, I'm not talking about childhood trauma. I'm not talking about relationship trauma. This is straight up soul trauma. We all have it based on being born. So this is not, this is a safe space to talk about trauma. The soul is trauma. Why? Why was the soul sent here? So there's two, two ways we can look at it. One is, despite the darkness of the world, we should still do a mitzvah. That's Menashe. I'm going to forget about the challenge that I have or the challenge that I have. I'm going to not let that get in the way of me doing the next great thing. That's one level. Deeper level is to say that precisely in this dark environment, precisely with the challenge that I have, precisely with my animal soul and body that is perfectly weighted to work against me, to pull me into a negative place, precisely through that I can reach the deepest level of connection with Hashem. So step one is I'll still be connected with God despite the challenge. Step two is I'm going to be stronger in my connection with Hashem because of where I find myself. And that's a deeper level. That means exploiting the darkness for a higher purpose. Yeah. That's where we transform the darkness to light. That's where we make this world into a home for God. Not just survive this world, but to transform this world. So not just Menashe, which is survival. Menashe is really survival. Another word for Menashe is surviving the trauma. But Ephraim means thriving. Not just surviving, but thriving. So the ultimate goal is, where does the right hand go? On Ephraim, thriving. But to get to that place, the first thing you need to have done is survive. Because if you didn't survive, then you're not going to thrive either. Step one is get through it. Step two is grow. Without a short run, there's no long run. Without the short run, there's no long run, exactly. All right, so this explains why. Oh, this explains also, as we'll see tomorrow, the debate between Yosef and Yaakov. 
Yosef wants him to put his right hand on Menashe and his left hand on Ephraim. Because Yosef's looking at process. Yosef says, you can't skip the, you can't jump the gun. First you have to have Menashe, then you have Ephraim. First you have survival, then you have thrival. Then you have thriving. First survive, then thrive. And his father, Yaakov, says, don't look at process. Don't get stuck on process. Look at outcome or, or objective. What's the objective? The ultimate objective, why did God send the soul here in the first place? Not to survive. Just to survive? That's why he put the soul through so much, just to survive? That's a very low, come on. He put the soul here to do amazing things, not just to survive, to do amazing things. So Yaakov looks at it from a bit of a deeper perspective or a broader perspective, not, through the, not from the, through the lens of process, but through the lens of the objective. The objective is Ephraim. To get to Ephraim, we need Menashe. Fine, but Ephraim is where it's at. Yosef was looking at a process, first Menashe, then Ephraim, but ultimately his father had a different take on that. All right, I hope this makes sense. So what's the, what's the moral of the story for our lives? We all have a soul that's been through a lot, and the message is, step one, let's make sure that the soul is not in a very uncomfortable space. Step two, allow the soul to transform its environment starting from its immediate environment, which is us, making us a little bit more of a mensch. Let us make man, God says. And who's the us? Us. Why does God say in the plural, let us make man? Because God can make man, but only we can make a mensch. Like we said before, mensch of the year, we're, we're the ones that make ourselves a mensch. God can make, God can give us life, but who makes not gender specific. Who makes a man a man? Who makes a mensch a mensch? Us. A little bit of God, but also a lot of us. We have a lot of input in that. All right, so that's it for today. What we did, just to summarize in the story, the beginning of the Torah portion, Yaakov is getting older. Well, he spent 17 years right now, as of now, in Egypt, and those are the best years of his life, the Baal says. He's with family. He sees Judaism thriving in a foreign environment, and he's, he's reassured about the future. He realizes that his days are numbered, so he calls Yosef and he says, he, he, he arranges his burial, burial arrangements, has a conversation about that. The fast forward a little bit, now he falls ill. Yosef rushes to his bedside with his kids. Once again, not once again, Yaakov tells him, your sons I will elevate to tribal status. Even though they're grandsons, they will be like my sons. He then asks almost forgiveness for not bearing Yosef's mother, his wife, Rachel, Rachel, in a formal burial spot, more kind of makeshift, but he says it was per divine decree. I didn't mention this, but we mentioned it before. Why was it divine decree? So that when the Jews were being exiled on the road, she would pray on their behalf. We mentioned that a few weeks ago when we read the story about her passing and her burial. Um, and then we have the, the, the discussion about the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh and the switching of the hands. We haven't yet gotten to the blessing. Rabbi, was it predestined that Man no, no. Manasseh would have his personality and Ephraim his personality? I, I always wonder the same thing. Like, is this, are we talking about Manasseh and Ephraim the people, or are we talking about them as archetypes? Right. I don't know. I don't know if we can say that their lives personally mirrored these ideas. Because we what? don't really hear much about their life. I don't know. Yeah, maybe their descendants. Uh, we would have to look. This would be a bit of a broader thing. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, 
it's not always brought down on that level, you know, and we also see it reflected in their lives. It's not always, sometimes you have that, but not always do you have that. Could we do a deep dive and analysis, perhaps? Am I ready to do it now? No, I'm, 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 I'm unprepared. Jacob and Esau, we saw with that, like Jacob and Esau. We do, we do see that. Yeah, we do see that reflected in their missions. Also, the patriarchs, each chesed, gvurah, teferis. We do see, and it's brought down. Menashe and Ephraim themselves, one being survival, one being thriving. Do we see it in their own personas? It's, it's just that I don't know. Like, Jacob kind of sees it and envisions it. With the, what the names represent and what the, the yeah. duality. And, and really, when Yosef named his kids, he was talking about his own process. right? His first kid was, he named his first kid Menashe. Why? I've made it until now. He named his second kid Ephraim. I'm successful. Those were his two. He, that's why he named his kids. Did they live up to those? I don't know. But yeah. The right and the left yeah. being crossed. I believe the only time this happens is on Simcha's Torah. When for the Hagba. Yeah, you lift the Torah. The hands, the right. On Simcha Torah, you lift the Torah and switch it. Is this why? No, that's more of a party trick. I've always, maybe there's a deeper significance. I've always viewed it as a party trick. There's another reason why. The weight, because it's all on the left side. It's all on the. I can't picture the scroll. It's all on the, no, it's on the right side. Which means that you shouldn't actually, because if, if you're a righty, you shouldn't be switching it. But maybe it's to show how strong you are even in your left hand. It's, it's a party trick. It's yeah. the way I've always understood the party trick. On, on Simcha Torah, when you do this, I've seen people do that in general. Really? Just I for kicks. Yeah. Flare Torah. Flare. Torah flare. Torah flare. Yeah. That's the, you know, the bartending where they... Oh yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, little flipping action. Just don't flip your Torah. Just, if the Torah falls, you guys know the law, right? If the Torah falls, you have to fast for 40 days. 40 days. Don't let your, which is a lot of fasting. It's a lot, it's a whole bunch of fasting right there. Right? Yeah, it's a Ramadan. Now, I think you can like eat at night. I mean, it's not 40 day and night. It's not 40. No, you can. You can share it. I'm sure. You can what? Let's say there's a congregation of... Oh, you can divide it amongst... Yeah. This, I don't know. So, in other words, the 40 people in the congregation, each can fast one day. I have no idea. I will tell you this. I've never, thank God, I've never had to experience this because I've never seen a Torah. I have seen, though, a Torah almost falling. I remember this as a kid, and maybe it's embellished in my memory, and I, I think I remember somebody from the synagogue diving. This is, <laughs> in my memory, diving and falling on their back. I remember this like the... I don't know if that actually happened. But I have this vague, not vague, this semi-vivid memory of some sort of dramatic situation. Again, did it happen or not? Or did it happen in my head? I don't know. Um, but it's a pretty serious thing. Speaking of fast, and let's end with this. Tomorrow is a fast day. Tomorrow is the 10th of Tevet, Asar Tevet. It is the anniversary of the siege of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the um, Babylonian king against Jerusalem in the times of the first temple. That led to the first temple's destruction. So 10th Tevet, Chabad. We're going to look right now quickly up 10th uh, of Tevet on Chabad.org. And it says that number one, what happened on this day, which is tomorrow, not today, but tomorrow, um, Jerusalem was surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar, as I mentioned. But I'll give you the year. The year was 3336. 
from creation, the Jewish years, which is 425 BCE. So it's about... 900 years after Moses. No, but how many years ago? 2020 plus 425, 2450, about 24 and a half, about almost 2500 years ago. Um, another thing that happened on this day was, sorry, the 8th of Tevet, which would have been yesterday, was the Torah was translated into Greek. This is known as the Septuagint. And that was considered to be a negative, even though you think that translating the Torah was a good thing, but according to our sages, that opened up. Until then, Torah was a closed book, and no one even knew what it said. But once there was a translation, now you get misinterpretation. Oh, look what it says, gotcha. And now anti-Semitism, whatever. Ninth of Tevet, which is today, was the passing of Ezra Hasofer, Ezra the scribe, who was a great sage. Um, so there's a few things that happen, but the main reason for the fast, those, we have something that happened yesterday, today, but the main thing is, of course, what happens tomorrow, which is the anniversary of the siege against Jerusalem. There'd be another reason, I guess, for uh, the Septuagint not being a good thing. Yeah. I know that when I took uh, uh, studies... Are we having class tomorrow? Uh, so hold on. Yeah, so, so we will be having class, please God. Um, I expect to have class. Um, it's, I'm glad that it was, didn't fall out on Pichi Parasha because then we would have to adjust our plans. Um, the, the way the fast works is it's not a Yom Kippur, it's not a Tisha B'Av. It begins in the morning at daybreak and it ends at nightfall. So if you want to know Chabad Zmanim, I think it's, um, is it 610 or 615? Chabad Zmanim, let me, let's see, 30306. Let me just type this in quickly. Zmanim times... <coughs> Instant amount of times. What is it? Instant. Why are you telling me instant? Make it sound fancy. Okay, Atlanta, Georgia. Let's see for tomorrow. 10th of Tevet. Okay, you ready? Yes, fast begins 6.10. Fast begins at 6.10. Alot HaShachar. So 6.10 a.m., which means you could, if you have in mind before you go to sleep tonight, you can wake up before 6.10 and have breakfast, have a coffee, etc. So you can get your day started with food. And the fast ends very early at 5.58. This is the shortest fast of the year. This is, this is like, this is a, this is a, um, a sh uh, on the much, much shorter end. It's uh, a little under 12-hour fast, but it starts 6-ish, and it ends right before 6 in the p.m. Um, tomorrow night is Tuesday, which means that we have the Matrix class. So for those of you that are on the Matrix class, you should know that you have two hours to eat after the fast, before the class begins at 8 o'clock, which means we should all be well-fed and overfed and be like, oh, why did I eat so much after the fast? I did not need to eat. I was not that hungry to eat after the fast, blah, blah, blah. We have enough time to complain about, about eating after the fast and still make it to the class on time. Lucky I was commercial. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Yeah, you started, right? I did not, no. but I can, I can imagine. Yeah. My favorite print ad for the holidays is Ingle L's. The holidays are not the same without J&B. Oh, yeah. It was the J&B, the classic J&B print ad. Yeah. Ingle L's, Ingle L's. Anyway, nish, 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 fad, 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 I heard it uh, for the supermarket, Ingle's. Oh, oh okay, got and it. I heard a radio, a radio commercial. Nice. Ingle's bills, yeah. Uh, well, it's different. Okay, good. Let's sign off online. Good to see you guys. Donna, Ray, and Sarah, great to see you. See you tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Thank you, Rabbi. Great to see you guys. Okay. When I took